Hello and welcome to the Real Life Sports Show. This podcast is for sports fans and people playing sport. Anyone interested in sport, basically, whether that's watching it, playing it or competing at any level. My name is Sam Adams. I'm known as the Real Life Coach. I'm a business owner and a life coach who works with sports professionals, whether that's athletes, coaches and people in and around the sporting industry. And I help those people live more expansively, authentically, so that they can enhance their performance, whether that's playing their game or living their real life. My background is business, really. I've been in business for over 20 years in property, and I've mentored in that industry and coached. And that led me into life coaching. And then that led me into working with people in sport. Basically, because I'm passionate about sport. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about the topics in sport. We're going to talk about the real life behind the scenes, what it takes to be a professional athlete. We're going to have the latest news. We're going to have some discussions. I'm also going to share with you my experiences of coaching elite athletes. We will have some amazing guests and they will be talking about the glamour and the glory, the medals, the achievements, the titles. But we'll also go behind the scenes to find out what it really takes, the grit and the grind what it takes to excel as an elite athlete for yourself the listener what i promise you is that you're going to get some great takeaways and insight from these podcast episodes whether you're looking to achieve or improve your mindset it'll help you with your personal development and it will give you that extra bit of insight and what it takes to be a high achiever also i'd love for you to do me a big favor when you get to the end of this episode or any episode is leave a review. Leave me a five-star review and I will be eternally grateful. So here we go, the Real Life Sports Show. So everybody, yes, this is another episode in the uh, the new podcast. It might not be new by the time you're listening to this, but the Real Life Sports Show with me, Sam Adams. And today... I'm super excited. To be honest with you, whenever I do this, I'm super excited because I think I get to pe- speak to people that I never dreamed I'd ever be having conversations with. And that's what's great about <laughs> podcasting. And today is no exception. I'm speaking to a, a Rugby World Cup winner. Uh, no other. And I know him as Coach G, but um, you <laughs> might know him as Guthrow Steamcamp. Good afternoon. Well, it's good afternoon for me. How are you doing, Guthrow? Uh, good afternoon to you too. Get a touch. Boom. Good to be here. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, got to do that. Got to do that. To stay connected. To stay connected. Yeah, so for people always hearing that that's uh, a virtual high five, get a touch is what we use in Zoom, just for people to stay connected and love just that. to acknowledge each other. Yeah, I'm super excited. I love going on podcasts. All right. I get amped up. Feels like I'm about to play a rugby game. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I just like to share my passion and share my story. And um, hopefully my message out there can help some people. Awesome. I love that. And I obviously um, connected with you over on uh, Clubhouse. This amazing new audio app that we're all using and showing up in. And I, I heard you speaking in there and your energy and your story. And most importantly, I guess for me, the message, because I'm a life coach to sports professionals and I just love what you're doing. And I think that was why I was like, I've got to get this guy on my podcast um, just to just to have a little bit more of that energy and understand <laughs> where it comes from and how you keep going like you do. But obviously, we obviously have to talk about, you know, the rugby um your your career in rugby because you know those for listening who are listening might not know it I obviously know it um I remember you guys beating 
beating England um, <laughs> to win the World Cup. Uh, that was gutting. Um, but uh, yeah, so tell me firstly then, how, how did you get into rugby? Was it a family tradition? Was it, what happened? Actually, my dad was a footballer, all right? So he was a footballer and he was a football coach. And uh, I used to play football till the age of 12. And then I changed schools uh, in Paul, in this little town outside of Cape Town. And uh, I got stopped by the first team coach, the rugby coach. And he said to me, son, do you play rugby? I'm like, no, coach, I play football. He's like, uh, from today, you won't be playing football anymore. You'll be playing rugby. I'm like, yes, coach. I was scared of him. <laughs> so I started playing rugby. I had no idea how it works. I was just running all over the place, scrum off, fly off. And they're like, you're a freaking lock. Stay there. So it was by chance. You know, there are some of my family members that play Um I had an uncle that played at the highest level back in the day right. in the apartheid era of South Africa, all right, but wasn't really acknowledged for that. So, you know, playing rugby was, I was one of the first in my family really to play it because being a predominantly football family. And, uh, you know, I just fell in love with the sport, you know, and what it represented having that camaraderie, being part of a great team environment. And also, I liked smashing people. So that was kind of cool as well. <laughs> where, where did that come? Do you th were you an angry kid or anything? Was it? No, no, I was just a big kid. I was like, I wasn't really fat. I was just full. Right. All right. So yeah, yeah. I, 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 I wasn't fat. I was just full. I was just big. Um, and no, I won't say anger. It's just like I had this energy about me. And, uh, you know, I fell in love with the sport. And at the age of 16, I realized that I could actually go all the way with it um, because I could see the results and also the interest that was starting to build up around me. Mm -hmm. And I remember back then, my dad actually asked me and said, son, are you serious about rugby? Do you really want to go all the way? Are you willing to do what is necessary? And I use that word, are you willing to do what is necessary to achieve your goals? Mm -hmm. I said, yes. He said, okay. And I was like, good, okay, yes. Next day, he woke me up at 5.30 a.m. And he said, right, you're going to go for a run before school. And I was like, okay, all right, three kilometers, went jogging, went going. And, um, you know, go to school, had my rugby training. And then my dad would come pick me up. And I remember this day, he came, he's like, okay, give me your bag. I'm like, yeah, sure. Okay, about to get in the car or the pickup. And he said, no, you're running home. I'm like, but dad, it's like seven to eight kilometers. Like, you said you're serious. I'm like, Okay, there I went running back home. So I would run like almost eight kilometers a day. And the great thing about that story is that that taught me a lot of things. You know, I was mad at him, but like I trusted him. He was not someone that was over pushy. He wasn't someone that was living vicariously through me. He was just there in support. Yeah. He wouldn't like after each game overanalyze and criticize and stuff like that. He was really there to support me. He would just say, are you willing to do what is necessary? Yeah. Are you willing to put in the work? And I did that. And I've got so many stories about that. But do it by running. I would run on my own. And even when I played at the elite levels, like under 18 South Africa, under 20, I would still run in the community. And people would get to know me as this big guy on the side of the road, just running, you know. In right. my mind, I was going fast. But actually, I was just going really slow. <laughs> and, um, and that helped me because I went to uni. My dad, I went a thousand 1,500 kilometers away from home. No, actually 1,000 kilometers. I'm over-exaggerating now. 1,000 kilometers away from home. Went out of my comfort zone. Mama's boy left home, all those type of things, left the crib. And my dad sent me to uni without a car, without a bicycle. 
And he said, I'm not going to buy you one. God has given you the pair of feet and you should use it. And I had to run to training every day, three and a half kilometers. So when I would get to training, we would start training with fitness. And I already did three and a half days. But what installed in me was work ethic. And even though I had the opportunity to hitch a ride or lift with teammates, I refused. Because my dad said, you get to training on your own. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, those type of things that help me just using what you have and making the best of it. All right. We're always looking for a lot of external things to boost us and to help us, but it starts with the internal, but we'll get Absolutely. into detail. You know, it's all inside out. Talk about that a lot. I was talking to Jan, you uh, the ex Microsoft guy who now coaches athletes and Olympians and, we had a great discussion really about that very thing. It's all inside out job. And uh, yes, and that's why I love having these conversations with, with people like yourself to see what it took and um, what it takes. And I guess for you, you were kind of lucky because you had your dad who you obviously really respected, who wasn't necessarily overly pushy, but very supportive and believed in your ability from, from day one by the sounds of it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I was very lucky. I know that's not the case with everyone, you know, yeah. and that's why I'm, I actually, I've, I've almost been in fights with parents before because in South Africa, to give you a bit of background, rugby in South Africa is like a religion. Yeah. All right. We always hear that there were two countries, all right, two nations that were born to play each other, and that was South Africa and New Zealand. Yeah. All right. Sorry, England. I know. <laughs> We know it though. We know it. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I grew up with that. I had this dream of playing against the All Blacks. Yeah. You know, that, that, that drove me. But I would also say when I was older, when I was a professional player, I would go watch schoolboy rugby and stuff like that. And I would see parents at the 10-year-old child shouting and screaming, you useless, you rubbish. And I would go to these parents like, what are you doing? Yeah. It's like, oh, but he had a bad game. I was like, he's freaking 10 years old. Yeah. Let him just have fun. Let him be a kid. Yeah, but if he doesn't perform now, he'll never be a professional. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop the bus. All right? That's his decision to make one day if he's going to be a professional rugby player. And he's only 10. He doesn't know. Yeah. I've seen players at the age of 18, they've made that decision and they still don't make it. So I said, don't burn your bridges. Don't pollute your relationship with your child because you want him to be a professional. Yeah. So... You know, there's a lot of things around the game. In South Africa, there's a lot of pressure around rugby, and we see it in schools. There's a whole top, a lot of topics we can talk about. Yeah, I mean, there is, you know, mo- you know, a lot of countries do have their their national game. You know, here football is is huge. You know, the money and in, involved in football in this country in the Premier in the Premier League, and you know, it's incredible. We love our rugby, but you know, football is really the biggest sport we have here. And each country, I think, has their own you know, national sport, as it were, and there's a lot of pressure on kids to play football and, you know, to be at the elite level. But what, you know, people forget is that actually in any sport, like in rugby, football, whatever, you know, to be at the top of the game, to be like you are, to play for your nation, to win a World Cup, it's the the smallest amount of people in that, in you know, 1% less than that probably that actually yep. make it to the pinnacle and it's 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 so so small but you can still have a good career and not you know be playing at the yep. absolute peak but there is a lot of pressure there is a lot of pressure 
Yeah, just to give you an example, I was um, in a boys' school. We were 700 kids, all right, yeah. and it's one of the top rugby schools in South Africa. It's called Paul Boys High. Yeah. And, you know, it's a proper private school. You know, you throw your blazer. You have to stand up when an adult comes past you. You have to button your blazer. It can't be opened up with tie, and it's really like proper traditions. And I was the only one out of my senior class that played professional rugby. Yeah. And they were great players, but I was the only one out of 80 elite kids that played, all right? And in, in rugby, we had two teams, first teams, all right, but players that probably had the potential to go professional. And I was the only one out of a pool of about 70 players. Yeah. So, and, I, and that's a reality. That's what I tell to younger players. I tell them, guys, you want to play professional? Fine. But don't take the easy route with your studies by just doing a sports management course or this and that. I studied law. Unfortunately, one of my biggest regrets, and I, I'm not ashamed that I regret it, I never completed my degree. Mm. Because at the stage, it was just, it became too much. I missed exams, became a professional player. I made that choice. Yeah. In hindsight, looking back, there was probably a way. I could have caught up eventually because then online learning came into play. You know, but I was just comfortable focusing on rugby. So I advise players, get a proper education. Mm. It's so important because like that injuries and with the modern game and in any sport, yeah. the pressure to perform, everything, the standards is raising every single year, whether it's football, yeah. whether it's rugby or cricket, the standards is raising every single year. Yeah. And that pressure to perform it's getting so much more. And we're seeing injuries. We're seeing players that are just losing their stuff mentally because the pressure is just too much. So you need to have something you can fall back on. Yeah. I mean, the pressure is huge. I think, uh, you know, I did a talk, uh, a workshop to some footballers um, not that long ago. And we, we were talking about identity because obviously when, you, when you're a professional athlete, it's very easy to get wrapped up in your identity as an athlete and forget the other aspects of life and the other interests that you might well have. And, it, and like you say, because of injuries can end mm. your career like that, um, you know, you, you might get dropped, your performance drops or whatever. It's, that's why it's so important to have these other areas and aspects of your life that you're interested in and that you can, you know, give some of your attention to. Because if you're just an athlete and you see yourself as just an athlete, if you if that's gone tomorrow for it through injury or whatever, what are you left with? This is what I said yeah. to the lads on Monday. It's like, what are you left with? If all you see yourself is as an athlete, fucking nothing, nothing. Um, and that's where problems really yeah. then, then can kick in. I, I just want to clarify, you know, I, I help players and just everyday people develop mental resilience. That, uh, that I'm a rugby coach as well, all right? But I help people develop mental resilience. And also figuring out, you were talking about identity. I always ask athletes this question. Who are you without the sport which you love, which you're passionate about? Who are you? What are your interests? What can you contribute to the conversation? What yeah. topics can you talk about? I found myself in a lost after rugby. Mm. I would go to a rugby game. I was no longer playing. So when you're an athlete and when you are performing or when you're playing, people come, oh, that was awesome. Great stuff. Wow. How did you do that? Great. Mm. When you stop playing, they're like, oh, so what do you think of the game? I'm like, oh, no, it was great. It was awesome. So what do you do now? Um, I'm a coach or I'm trying to be a coach. Okay, cool. Then they start talking about the jobs. 
So like, all right, I had to hit this targets this month. Oh, but, and crazy. HR is killing me because they said I spoke harshly to my employees. And I'm like, and I'm just like, <laughs> what to yeah. say? Can you guys come back to rugby, please? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was lost. I felt like an idiot. I felt stupid. Yeah. And I had to upskill myself on different topics and, and asking questions. And this is simple. So I said, listen, here, I'm a rugby player. Tell me a bit more about yourself. What do you do? Yeah. Educate me. And that became my entry point. That's how I learned all these different things. Yeah. And that big thing, identity. Who are you when you're done playing? Yeah. And people struggle with that. And I've seen players and athletes, they've got jobs lined up. They've got a business waiting for them. But they can't deal with who they are when they are retired. Yeah, no, it's your they've, they've lost that sense of purpose. Yeah. Absolutely. And and that's so important. You need to figure out who you are without the sport that you love. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. That's a big part of um, you know, stuff that I do with, with with clients is, you know, one of the questions I always ask them is who do you think you are? Who do you really think you are? Uh, and it's very interesting. I mean, we probably could talk about that stuff all day. <laughs> I, I do. I want to continue on the rugby journey because, yeah, um, yeah obviously, yeah, like 16, you realise you, you got pretty serious with it. Your dad helped you. Um, was it that at sort of 16 that you realised for yourself that, yes, I could be an international rugby player. I could play for the Springboks. Was there like a realisation for you or? I wouldn't say at that stage I realized I could be an international player. I realized that I could go play, become a professional player. Obviously, I had a dream. I wanted to play for South Africa. I always remember the age of 13, what, winning, watching South Africa, winning the World Cup for the first time, Nelson Mandela, yeah. and seeing how everybody united, you know, and taking from where I come from, being a person of color in South Africa, you know, that's huge. My parents experienced the apartheid era, and... That was massive. You know, I'm just getting goosebumps talking about that now. We're going to get emotional here on this podcast. <laughs> Let's get it. At the, age of 13, <laughs> at the age of 13, I had this dream. I want to become a springbok. I want to be that person that someone looks up to, that can inspire. And so obviously I went through all the grassroots, went through the age grades and all those type of things. But the age of 16, I knew there was put in. That's when I I made a switch. So my next target was to be play for the first team. And I eventually did uh, play two years for my first team in, uh, at Paul Boys High. And then massive interest came in, offers coming in for me to go to different clubs right. um, or franchises, as we call it in South Africa. But the main thing was that I had to do, I had to study. And discussing with my parents, we felt it would be best that I go far away from home just to get out of the comfort zone. I needed to grow up. I was a mama's boy, all right? I'm not, uh, I'm not ashamed to say that. Even now, living in France, when my mom comes to visit, it's so awesome because you're like, son, you look tired. Go for a nap. I'm like, yes, mom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I can see my missus like, oh, he like, needs to work. He needs to work. <laughs> um, so, yes, I went when I went to uni and I went through all the different levels, played SN and 19, they are realized this could become a reality. I made the SA under 21 team two years in a row. And I was coached by Jake White at age 21, who became the Springbok coach. So then I knew, okay, I could possibly make it. But I got sidetracked as well, being a youngster away from his parents, 
you know, um, enjoying the, put it this way. I went to university in a town called Bloemfontein. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's not even, there's a dam. That's it. The grass is yellow in winter. It's hard. And there's nothing. I don't have to explain it. I can't even <laughs> tell you what happens in that town because it's nothing. But when I got there, I used to coming from Cape Town, the ocean, Table Mountain, all these great places Amazing. and going to nothing. <laughs> um, it was a big adjustment. And my coach, when I arrived, he said to me, son, I know you're asking yourself a lot of questions now, but let me tell you this. People that come to Bloemfontein, they cry on two occasions. It's the day when they arrive, <laughs> and they're like, what the hell am I doing here? And the day when they leave. And it was the truth. It was the absolute <laughs> truth. And there was nothing to do in the stand. So what did we do? We had a braai, which you guys know is a barbecue. Yeah, I love We bri. would go out. Yeah. And there were times that I got sidetracked. And I had my two best friends, and you need to understand this as well. Bloemfontein's <laughs> a small place, all right? So we had, there was a Greek community, there was a Portuguese community, oh, yeah. and we, there was a lot of, them. I had two Greek friends, all right? So, and their friends, they were running this town. And um, they actually blocked me at all the clubs and all the so-called bars. I wasn't allowed access. They said, gee, you need to stop your BS. Because yeah. you are throwing your future away. Amazing. And if they good didn't friends, do that, Good friends. Good, and we're still best friends today. Yeah. You know, the same friends that had me arrested the day before my wedding, you know, as a prank, you know. Ah. <laughs> but we're still friends. Yeah, that was just a prank. <laughs> that was just yeah, a yeah. prank. Um, but yeah, and I realized then that wake-up call that I could achieve great things. But I knew I, I had some hard work waiting for me. You yeah. know, and that happened in 2003 and end of 2004, I became a Springbok. I made my debut against Scotland at Murrayfield. Yeah. And that's where I needed to make a shift. But it wasn't a perfect role. I can, I can tell you lots of things that happened. I'm sure we're going to get into it. Yeah. There were times I went into a comfort zone being an international player where yeah. I lost my spot. We were going to talk about that. But yeah. when I realized I could make it, yeah. I started grafting. I really started grafting. I was not the most skillful player, all right? But my superpower, as you could call it, was that tenacity, yeah. that never say die, that will to prove everyone wrong. Not yeah. prove everyone, but more to myself, that fight inside me that I could achieve anything. Yeah, that, that, and I talk about that a lot because, you know, it's having the will and the commitment, the will over the skill. If you, because you can have all the skill in the world, but if you've got no will and no commitment, it's a waste no. of time. So for you, you sound like you know you're just really dedicated and just hard work, never quit kind of attitude. Yeah. So I have something which I live by, and uh, it was all taught to us at school. And this was our headmaster. He was a real old school headmaster. So when he would speak at the assembly, he would approach us. They would. We were called boys hires because we were Paul boys. High. He said, boys hires, you need to remember this. We are always first amongst equals. <laughs> <laughs> we are first amongst equals. And what he was trying to say that we were, represented something different. It was yeah. about sportsmanship, uh, good conduct, good scholarship. And, and those values were embodied into our first team. And we had this first team coach and he gave us the speech one day and he said, guys, the will to want to win 
must be greater than the fear of losing. Yeah. And it says, remember that the will to want to win must be greater than the fear of losing. And I took that. Not so much about winning. It wasn't about winning for me. It was like, okay. And I changed it. And I said, the will to want to achieve something great yeah. must be bigger than the fear yeah. of not achieving it. Yeah, I like that. Really like that. I'm going to take that out as a quote. <laughs> All right, dear Coach G. <laughs> oh, don't worry. You'll be tagged in it. You'll be tagged in it. I mean, a couple of things, because I, I want to talk about, like, obviously, you know, you become a professional rugby player. It is easy to go off the rails. It all, you know, I talk about this with all uh, sports professionals. It is easy. You're in the limelight. You're, this, you're put on a pedestal by, a, a, you know, quite a lot of people. You know, I want to talk about that, what happened for you, and also about your injuries, because you did have a number of injuries, uh, you know, probably ones that you shouldn't have come back from, but you did. Um, so let's do the first one, you know, going off the rails. Did you go off the rails? Was it, you know, because obviously, like I say, you're adored by thousands of people, millions of people. Yeah. And it's easy yeah, to firstly, get sidetracked. No, that pressure's a lot. Um, and, and sometimes, and, and, and I'm the first to admit that there was a stage I was arrogant. I was full of myself. Mm. And I was an idiot. It happens. I'm not justifying that. Um, but luckily, I had people around me that brought me back where I needed to be. But yeah, dealing, you know, uh, I got injured. My first massive, it wasn't, it's not actually a massive injury, but more the length. So in 2004, I made my debut for South Africa. Mm. 2005, you know, I started for South Africa at Alice Park, uh, playing against Australia. So I was like finally making my mark and I had the opportunity to meet Nelson Mandela before the game, you know, massive, massive, unbelievable. And I remember going down the tunnel, I'm getting goosebumps again, going down the tunnel and we're about the president sitting there on this golf cart and I'm going out to shake his hand and he says to me, oh, it's so good to see you, us. And I'm like, I'm not awesome. He was talking about the loose set prop that paid in the 95 World Cup. <laughs> and I was like, good to see you too, Mr. President. Oh, you did <laughs> I didn't it. even correct him. I didn't even correct him. I was just like, and it became a big joke. Uh, like for months, the players are like going, oh, us, us. How are you doing, us? But anyway. <laughs> so then after that, I toured. We went on a Tri-Nations tour. And I got injured. I broke my scaphoid in my wrist, which is a fickle thing, you know, little blood circulation. And it, I just didn't recover. The bone would not heal. And I need that to lift in the lineouts. Yeah. And for two years, I was sidelined. I had two operations. And I was told not to do any physical activity. I needed to keep my arm as still as possible, just even walking. Wow. They told me, do not move. I had, uh, went for oxygen in oxygen tanks to help the speed up the process. I had sonar machines on my hand, all these type of things. And I lost myself because I was no longer part of a team. You know, yeah. being a professional player, I would be sitting at home ordering takeaways. We had this takeaway service back then called Delivery King. So pizzas would come to my house. I'd be watching the whole series of Friends. And... Um, I picked up weight without even real. I knew I was picking up weight, but I thought, okay, seven kgs, eight kgs. Until in the end of 2006, uh, I had to go see a nutritionist as part of the Springbok group, which before we getting ready for the World Cup. Yeah. And I got on the scale, and I normally weighed about 120 kgs. I got on the scale, 
and I weighed 142 kgs. Wow. 22 kgs overweight. And I'm like, nah, there's something wrong. Get me now. I was like rude with the nutrition. You get another scale. That one's bug. You're not going to give that weight to my Springbok coach. You're going to mess me up. She got another scale. Got up on the scale. 142. I said, nah, there's something wrong. Get me another one. She got me a third one. 142. Wow. Sat me down, said, Mr. Stienkamp, I think you have a problem. <laughs> yeah. And reality sunk in. And then I had to start preseason, went to Springbok training. Media mocked me because I was running, imagine 20 kgs of excess, and I don't have the biggest legs. All right. Yeah. I've got skinny legs, got this big chest and everything. It was just this bundle of joy all over me, right <laughs> in the midsection. All right. And I was not allowed to train with the team. You know, people would say I would never make it back 2007 or it was 2006. Yeah. And I had a decision to make. Was I willing to do what is necessary to come back? And I got called in by my union coach, the Bulls, who was later the Springbok coach as well, Aineke Meyer. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, Gee, we need to have a talk about your future. And I was like, oh, it's going to cut my contract. Yeah. And he called me and said, okay, clearly you're 20 kgs overweight. So I want to challenge you. You've got three months to lose that weight. If you lose it in three months, you will start every single game for this team. Every single game. And I'll give you an extension on your current contract. And I was like, wow, okay, I didn't expect that. So obviously I went to go see the SNC coach yeah. and he just looked at me, just shook his head. He says, gee, we got a long road ahead, but are you in? I'm like, Basil, you tell me what to do, when to do it, and I'll be there. I trained five times a day, five times a day on my own. And we had to weigh in every day. Wow. And I would go 142, I would stay 141.9. <laughs> And I remember when I broke 140, I was shouting and screaming. I'm like, and everyone's like, what's going on? What's going on? How much weight did you lose? He's like, five Ks, 10 Ks. I'm like, no, I lost 2.1, 139.9. Yeah. Yeah. And and I was not allowed to train with the team because I was seen as a health risk. Wow. So I had to run on the side of the field while my teammates were training on the field. And I had this hooker. He played for Harlequins back in the day called Gary Butter. And as soon as I would start running, he would start making these sounds. Let's go, G. You better run, boy. He was squealing like a pig. <laughs> and that got me. And I thought, okay, the first time I let it go. The next day I would come back, run. Let's go, G. He did that for three months. Wow. And I hated him. I, I hated his guts. And we became best friends because that was his way to push me because after three months, I dropped all that weight. Yeah. And I started every single game for the Bulls in Super Rugby from 2007 till 2011. 60, over 60 consecutive starts, which is still today a record at that team, which you won't get in modern day rugby anymore. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was one of my stories. <laughs> no, that's an incredible story of, you know, your determination and to come back from that injury and, and to then lose 20 kgs in 
you know, three months. That That is incredible. And that just shows your willingness and your commitment, you know, to, to do it. And, and to do whatever it takes, by the way, because it sounds like you had to. So what happened with South Africa? Because obviously that was 2005, 2006. Um, and that was a challenge by your balls coach who obviously, mm. you know, what what happened with with the Springboks around that time then? To, to, no, I was, for like, and I was very fortunate, um, you know, Jake White being the Southern Springbok coach, he showed confidence in me. Mm. And he kept me in the loop. He could have put me aside as well. You know, he trusted me. I had a role to play for the World Cup. And I came back into the Springbok frame, you know, and uh, played test matches. We played England three times before the World Cup. And I started every single every single one of them. Mm. You know, unfortunately, I did not play in the final, but I played in the World Cup. You know, that. but the, we always say in South African rugby, um, when we play for South Africa, you need to put the jersey first because the jersey represents something greater than us. It represents a nation. Mm. And if you're not South African, you won't understand it because rugby has the ability to unite people. It, it, and we've, I've seen it over and over. 95 World Cup. You know, when the Springboks are performed, people forget about their differences, their cultural differences, mm. you know? And... I was fortunate enough to be backed by two coaches who were Heineke Meyer, all right, and Jake White. Yeah. And um, if I was in any other setup and I didn't have a coach that backed me, my career would have been over. Mm. And when I, and I, and I challenge a lot of coaches there because in the modern day game, we have lost that notion of being a real coach. I always ask coaches this when I host workshops for coaches, are you a real coach? Like, yeah, I'm a real coach. I do the work, do the strategy. I'm like, are oh, you a real coach? Do your players respect you? Yeah. Do they trust you? Like, I don't know. Do you know if your player has kids, whether he's married or not? Yeah, yeah some of them, not sure about the rest. I said, there's your problem. How can you expect those players to go to water? How can you expect players to believe in your strategies yeah. if you don't have a relationship of trust? And I've seen it, and I see it. I work with athletes today that get dropped by their teams, they get cut by their clubs because yeah. coaches do not see them as athletes. They see them as products. Yeah, Not good enough, I'll take something different. Uh, and that's the reality. That's the harsh reality of life today in the modern game. Yeah, it's, it's, I see that through all sports. You know, like, you know, I work with, you know, you know athletics, football, whatever. And, and yeah, they're a commodity at the end of the day. Um, yeah. You know, and you're great while you're of value to the team and everything, but something goes wrong, you get injured, whatever, you know, you, the phone stops ringing, right? Very quickly. Um, so it's, it's very difficult. I, I want to ask you about that leading on to you. Obviously, what, you know, after you win the World Cup with, with uh, South Africa, being part of that amazing team, uh, and you did went on this amazing run with the Bulls, but to, you know, your career coming to an end, what was that like for you? Was it kind of like, were you strategically planning how the end would be for you? Or was it, were you prepared for that? So obviously I'll never tie 10 years later after the World Cup. So, you know, yeah. I still had a massive journey going ahead and I don't think we have enough time to cover everything. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast forward more towards the end of the career, my career. Yeah. So, uh, in 2014, 
I probably had one of my worst games for South Africa against Argentina. This was my opportunities one year before the 2015 World Cup. That would have been my third World Cup, which I would have gone to. And um, unfortunately for me, I had my worst performance ever. And when I got back to France, so I was traveling with the Springboks. We went to Argentina, came back to France. I was about to play for my club in Toulouse. And when I arrived, my agent came to pick me up at the airport. And I found that a bit odd. Why is my agent picking me up, not my family? And uh, I didn't think too much about it. We sat in the car and he said to me, gee, I need to tell you something. Your club wants you to leave. I'm like, what? Like, I got two years left on my contract. My family has relocated to France. We settled here. It's like, okay, process it. And I was driving home and I need to do, share this with my missus after being away for about eight weeks. Yeah. You know, that uh, the club doesn't want me to stay. You know, contractually, they couldn't just force me to leave. But I mean, if the club doesn't want you, they don't want you. What do you need to do? Uh, what do you have to do? Anyway, so first day back at training, I thought, okay. Not too much. And actually, the coach came to me. So, gee, have you found another club yet? I'm like, I just got back. This is my first day. Gosh, give me some time to figure it out. It's like, okay. No, no, it's fine. Understandable. Went back the next day to training. So, gee, have you found a club again? Day number <laughs> two. And every single day, that coach came to me and his recruitment team came to me. Have you found a club yet? They want, they want me to stay because they saw that performance. I didn't perform poorly for my club, yeah. but they saw what I was doing for my country. Like, we don't want that yet. Anyway, so I had to make a decision. My family's in Toulouse, everything. I needed yeah. to change. I needed to have a hard reset. And for two months, I, and I always use this phrase, I played with a gun against my head, a knife against my throat, and a bazooka somewhere else, which I'm not going to mention <laughs> where it is. And I knew at some stage, one of them had to go and I would be done. So that was the amount of pressure that I experienced. And I pushed forward. I trained hard and I was a mission. And I carried my team those two months. I was before, I was my best rugby. And then after the two months, the coach came to me and said, so I know I told you I want you to, to leave, but I've changed my mind. You're performing better. So you can stay. It's okay. <laughs> like, what the heck? <laughs> and obviously getting to know the coach, I have a lot of respect for him. Um, it was probably his way to light fire up in my ass. And, yeah. uh, and, and to give you a bit of context to the story. So I was dominated in the scrum. And today it's my job to teach other players how to dominate the scrum. And often people are like, how can you, you got stuffed up a few times in your career. It's like, yes, but that's why I know how to get back. I've always come back from those poor performances. I have a framework. I've got a process which I go through, which I'm teaching you. And, um, and it's also the danger of sharing stuff on social media. You get these idiots. I got actually a message yesterday from a guy in New Zealand that actually sweared at me using the F word and stuff I'm like, oh, be, be respectful. You can criticize me. That's okay. I don't mind. I yeah. can handle it. That's your opinion. But anyway, and um, this guy, Ramiro Herrera, played for Argentina. He stuffed me up back then. And I used this video. I actually used the scrum in my online courses. And I show players the scrum. So I show the scrum like on a regular basis. And I said, in the beginning, 
I took it upon myself. I wasn't good enough. I performed badly. And looking back now at it, years later, I'm like, okay, but that guy didn't pull his weight. That guy didn't do that. Yes, I did that wrong, yeah. but it wasn't just me. So I'm playing, explaining to players, you keep yourself accountable. But anyway, don't go too much in detail. So now I'm playing in, in Toulouse, playing in France, and I get to face Ramiro Herrera again in a French championship. So I'm ready for that game. I'm amped up, did my homework, did my drills. I'm ready to smash. So captain's run the day before the game in the gym, doing my activation. And the coach comes to me, say, hey, G, do you know you're playing against this weekend? I'm like, what question? He's like, yeah, no, yeah. It's the player that effed you up. I'm like, come on. <laughs> I'm in a good space. And long story short, I smashed him in that game. Yeah. You know, I smashed him. And I share that story because I came back from being dominating to being the one dominating in the scrum. Yeah. And that story is important because, and this is my strategy, you need to find out the source of what's holding you back. Yeah. And only then you can put a proper plan into place because otherwise you're just working on the headless chicken. I see too many athletes. They say, I need an SNC coach. Okay. I need a mental coach. I need a nutritionist. I'm like, no, don't go spend unnecessary money if it's not something which is going to help you. Yeah. Why should you spend money on a nutritionist if you're eating healthy? If you're looking after yourself, what is the one thing that is holding you back that is stopping you from performing? Identify that, and then you get the help that you need. Yeah. But yeah, there's amazing stories. And coming back to your question in terms of planning, I planned. I knew I wanted to become a coach. I knew with everything that I experienced as a player, I wanted a player not to avoid it, but I want them to reduce the mistakes. I want to and they have the tools. Okay, I had a poor performance. How do I fight back? Not just technical, but mentally. How do I, what's the process? And I share this with athletes. And I knew it. And I, and I also, I wanted to extend my career. I wanted to play till 2019. And I had a, did functional patterns, functional training, all these type of things. And I was ready. Yeah. But once again, my club made a decision. They're going to let go of all the goats. You know, it's time to leave. All right, with new generation, which I understood, understood. there yeah. were no harsh feelings about them. But then I was asked myself, I had to ask myself this question: Do I want to continue playing and reload my family to another country again, just so I can continue? So I decided to stop two years too earlier than expected. Mm. So, in that hindsight, I wasn't really prepared, but I had to adapt quickly. I had to adapt Did quickly. You adapt quickly though, because obviously a lot, like I said before, a lot of players in. All, all, you know, different sports don't adapt quickly, and that's why they yeah. have issues and lots of problems come after the career. Um, but for you, that wasn't was was easier than for some. You know, like I say, a lot of people get into trouble at that point. It wasn't easy. Mm. It wasn't easy because it wasn't planned. I didn't finish on my terms, so I first had to get over that. Mm. For example, I didn't want to go to a rugby game. I didn't want to watch rugby. No. You know, I wanted I wanted to coach in rugby, but I was in that space. I didn't want to watch rugby or go to rugby events. And I actually got a friend that dragged me along to a game and he got me over that hurdle. Mm. And but the, I knew what I want. I knew what I could do for players. And this is now where the business side came. How do you promote what you do? Yeah. Nobody taught me this. I did a business management course. I've heard of this nonsense, blue ocean, red ocean. I've heard the SWAT and all these type of things. 
but how do I speak to people? How do I contact them? Like work with me. So I would go on social media. Hi, I'm Gertrude Steenkamp. I can improve your scrum. <laughs> uh, no one. <laughs> and, <we're, laughs> and they're like, I don't understand. I'm a World Cup winner. Why doesn't nobody want to work with me? Yeah. And after a while, I realized, okay, I haven't earned their trust as a coach. Yeah. I don't have credibility as a coach. I needed to start at the grassroots. I had to go to clubs. I had to take on players, showcase what I was doing, explaining what I was doing. And I was still getting it wrong for two years. It was only until a year and a half ago where I realized I use social media to get clients. Yeah. And uh, I realized that I was doing it all wrong. Mm. Uh, you know, things like identifying their pain points, resonating with them, or they to resonate with me. Yeah. I changed my language. I just used to put out posts with drills and, okay, this is what I'm doing. And I would just say, okay, great. Uh, this drill can improve your posture. Cool. But when I start changing my language, like you lose your shape in the scrum, you get smashed, you get dominated, you turn to the line and the coach is ready to pull you off. How bad does that feel? Mm. I feel that. Do you want to avoid it? You know, those small type of things, which I didn't know, yeah. you know, how to communicate, how to get my marketing strategy, social media strategy, email marketing, all these type of things, which is important in business as even though we are coaches, that's, that's the downside of being a coach. Yeah. You're good at what we are doing, but actually to get in front of people in the beginning, we don't know how. Yeah, it's not, it's not easy to begin with. Yeah. I think the biggest thing I've learned is just to be just to be yourself, you know, try and you, you try, you show up, don't you think, and you've got to be this and you've got to do it this yeah. way. And, and that felt very uncomfortable for me personally. Um, and then I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to be me and use my language. And if they resonate with it, they resonate with it. And, yeah. and, and it's worked. <laughs> that's like, it. You've got to be yourself. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I started doing. I started going live on social media, sharing what I was doing, sharing my journey. And when I started doing zoo, people were criticizing me because in the rugby community, yeah. doing these animal movements, high intensity moves, like, what the hell are you doing? You're a freaking prop. <laughs> and like, why did I? And I would like, I took it like, yeah, that's fine. I was like, yeah, but it's stupid. It's a bunch of nonsense. And then I started showing what I'm doing. And they're like, see me dripping in sweat. I'm like, <sighs> they're like, what the hell? And I was doing it at a daily basis for six months. I was going every single day doing this specific workouts and routines. And all of a sudden players like, why are you doing that? I said, I'm developing mental resilience. I'm increasing my range of motion. I'm teaching this to the athletes that work with me. They've increased their benchmarks. They have beaten their personal records, their so-called KPIs. I don't believe in KPIs, but professional do. teams want them. <laughs> they beat, beat their Bronco tests, all those type of things. Yeah. And they're like, oh, now we understand. And when I work with players, when I put them through brutal training, they don't question me. Because they often say, coach, you train harder than us. Yeah. So they're like, I, I understand what they're going through. And often when I get to training, like, coach, you're crazy. Like, I'm, not crazy. <laughs> I'm just inspired. I just want to That's push it. it. What a great, <laughs> what a great role model you are for those guys. So now, now you've obviously, you know, had this amazing career and you've set up your coaching now, which is, is doing really well. What are your sort of aspirations and goals for the future? Because you guys are all settled in France now. 
um, you know, what, what's your aspirations, I guess, for yourself in business and life going forward? Obviously, I've, I've acquired all these amazing tools, you know, mm. to, in sport, in training, the way, and also the psychology of players. You know, I'm not, the, I'm not a life coach. I'm not a mental coach. I didn't do the training for that, but I've got life experience. I yeah. can read people. I can make people feel safe. When they speak with me, they'll share stuff which they've never shared with everyone. I, I've had grown men cry uh, in my session, sharing things yeah, with me. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, obviously my goal is one day to be in charge uh, of a professional setup. But I'm also planning another pathway as well because in the world of rugby, you can be part of a professional team and like that, you are gone. Yeah. So I don't want to be, I don't want to be in a situation that I was in as a player, end of contract, waiting to see when so I'm developing my own thing. So that's why I'm in mental resilience. That's why I do zoo. Yeah. You know, when lockdown hit the uh, end of last year, I was traveling all over Europe, doing workshops. I was doing workshops for coaches, for players in rugby. I was doing team building in, in companies, yeah. bringing people together, opening lines of communication, building robust teams. I was doing all those things, doing zoo. All of a sudden, boom, lockdown. You know what now? And then I started taking things online, which I always wanted to do. I've always had these excuses. I don't have the time. It's going to cost me 5,000, 8,000 euros for a website. And then I realized there's so many other two great tools like Kajabi and ClickFunnels, which you can do in your own, Wix or WordPress, whatever. And um, then I started training online with rugby players so what i did was online i've got this team it's called the zoo rugby team so zoo is high intensity training low impact you've got to know that for us get a touch is very important and i wanted rugby players to belong to something they couldn't train with their teams they couldn't train rugby that no access to equipment so i said stuff for six weeks i'm going to host complimentary sessions for you guys to try i trained with over 600 rugby players all over the world professional and amateur and I had no idea where this was going. No idea. And then after the six weeks, I said, okay, right, cool. Let's create the membership, right? Let's continue this journey. And I had over 50 that signed up with me. And today, and it's evolved. In April, we'll be one year old. Brilliant. One year called the Zoo Rugby. We train three times a week. And we share the values of rugby, you know, cohesion, respect, honor, humility, truth, all those type of things. But it's evolved. In the beginning, it was for rugby players to stay conditioned. And then I opened it up. Now it's everyone. I did not change the name. A lot of people changed the name. I said, no, I don't care if you're a rugby player or not, but we will remain the zoo rugby team. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of people that don't know what it feels like to be part of a team. Mm -hmm. I'd like the moms and dads that joined my team. And we got this story of a mom. Um, she was in Paris. They're South African. And their contract came to him, but they were stuck in lockdown. And I was training with her husband, who was an SNC coach. And one day he said, gee, I need to confess to something. I'm like, what? He's like, my missus has been training with us in the shadow, but she's too shy to get on camera. I'm like, that's fine. Tell her just to train. And one day when she's ready, she can join yeah. us. And one day she pitched up. And what I do is building confidence as well building self-esteem yeah and i train with everyone i don't stand i do every single session i do between 11 and 16 sessions a week different mm -hmm. people and this her name's trudy 
then one day, boom, she's on the screen and she's training with us and she's going, she was struggling. She's a mom. She's a runner. Um, she was a gymnast. So she's got some, but she was struggling. And then all of a sudden, one day, now she was starting to move faster and she was catching up to me. <laughs> what the hell is going and I need to go and I'm moving. And she just changed. She transformed. Brilliant. And then one day she messaged me, coach, I want to do the zoo certification. Can you arrange it? I'm like, yeah, sure. She did the online certification. Now she's a coach. Brilliant. She's running zoo sessions online from someone training in the shadows, no confidence. And it's filtered into a business as well. Brilliant. She's an estate agent. <laughs> and she's doing, and she's like the confidence, the transformation. Her friends are like, what did you do? Who did you see? What's the name of your psychologist? <laughs> I didn't just see a psychologist. I just do zoo. Yeah. And, um, but anyway, so that's the great thing. And now for me going through, I'm developing this. Um, I'm working close with the founder of zoo, Nathan Halberg. I did not create this training method. It is his. I'm just honored and privileged to be a part of it and be part of his journey. So I'm helping Zoo now as well develop the initiative called Zoo in Two. It's to empower 50 million people with movement and mobility. Brilliant. And it's simple. It's 30 seconds of frog squats, 30 seconds of bear crawls, two rounds every single day. Ah, and I've already shared it with so many members on Clubhouse. Yeah. And they're like, it's amazing. <laughs> you probably know Jean-Pierre de Villiers, a South African, who's also yeah, a keynote speaker. It, I did it with them. I did a zoo session. Actually, we actually just had a, a catch-up. And I said, let me show you zooing too. He did, he went past horizontal on a squat, which he hasn't done in years. He said, like, gee, it's amazing. <laughs> like, no, it's not. It's just zoo. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so for me going forward, definitely I want to see how I can go into professional sports, but yeah. also I want to develop zoo as well helping more people, empowering more people with movement because this zoo training method, it doesn't just increase performance. Mm. It helps you to manage stress, anxiety, mm. depression. Mm. I've gotten people, and I didn't even know about it, clients of mine were suffering from depression and they've stopped taking their medication. Yeah. M movement, though, is so powerful. I, you know, I talk about it a lot and um, you know, I work with some people that are not athletes, you know, high achievers and movement is such a part of, you know, if you're going to work with me, you've got to move your body. Um, you've got to find your thing that works for you. So I'm going to have to check out Zoo and see what this is all about now. Coach. I'll send it to you. Don't worry. <laughs> please, do, please do. I'm really conscious of time. Uh, and I probably there's so many things I want to talk to you, to you about because I don't think we've even hardly touched on the mindset stuff and we've been going. We'll, we'll get on to a part two, all right? I'm yeah, let's do a part, a part two. two. We'll all do right, a part, part two. two. All right, we can create a series. Yeah. <laughs> Sam and Coach G series. <laughs> I, mean, I, want to, you know, I really want to talk more about the mindset stuff and and resilience a bit more, but um and and. You know, hopefully you will come back on. And, you know, if you're up for it, maybe, up, you know, I'm a bit passionate about um, inclusion in sport, women in sport. Um, I know, obviously, you, you know, like you say, your father played football in apartheid um, era. Um, maybe open for a bit of discussion around inclusion and stuff like that and equality in sport um, in part yeah, two. Brilliant. No, that sounds good. No, I'm a big, uh, big for that. I do like, especially uh, when the, with a lot of, the women's rugby bit was uh, stopped due to the situation. I've reached out to a lot of them and I tried to create some awareness around it as well. 
that they are athletes as well. It doesn't mean because we as men, that we are professional, that we should get preference. It's important. We are all equal. Exactly. We're all, we're all human beings, whether you're male or female. Yeah. I, I, I've worked with so many women that are so much stronger than most of the <laughs> men I know. So, yeah. you know, yeah. the, honestly, I'm happy if I can help you with that in any way. Great. Some more awareness. Oh, that'd happy. be great. Yeah, well, let's 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 have a part two, and we'll we'll do inclusion, we'll do mindset, and we'll do yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, time goes by. It's like ridiculous. <laughs> Thank you, Coach G. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Real Life Sports Show. I hope you found some value in this free podcast. If you have, then tell someone else about it. And while you're at it, why not leave me a five-star review? Also, you can share it on your socials. You'll mostly find me on Instagram at Sam Adams Coach. Use the hashtag Real Life. You can also check me out at my website, sam-adams.com. If you're interested in my coaching or have any comments at all, then just drop me a DM via Instagram and I will get back to you. I look at all my messages and I reply to every single one of them.